It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Hello, hope you had a top Easter weekend. Welcome to Football Social Daily from Sports Social, a Premier League podcast packed with news and opinion from real fans. So thanks for downloading the show. I hope you've been keeping safe and practicing your social distancing this weekend. Right, if you've been listening to the podcast recently, you'll know we aren't as regular as usual. Normally we're a daily podcast, but due to the current circumstances, we've decided to scale back. But fear not, we'll still be bringing you three new podcasts a week. And today's podcast is a little different to normal. There won't be as much news but there'll certainly be plenty of opinion because if you've been keeping up to date with the most recent podcasts and following us on social media particularly our twitter page at the sports social you'll know that we're in the middle of the premier league world crap our tournament to help decipher who truly is the worst ever premier league footballer of all time 16 names 16 terrible players whittled down to just four group winners and on today's podcast we are going to reveal who is truly as voted for by the Sports Social listeners, the worst Premier League player ever. And to join me on the podcast today to kind of compile this list of worst players as well as decipher who the truly worst one is, we've got Adam Brown. Hello, Adam. I know, you're all right. All good here. We've got Ant McGinley. Hello, Ant. Hello. You've not been mistaken for Jesus, either of you, this weekend with your long beards. No, unfortunately not. No, that's the tragedy. <laughs> now, I, I, I don't know how you're getting on though, Adam, but m- mine has pretty much doubled since I've been in lockdown. The, anybody wanting to grow a beard, the trick is just stay in the house. Obviously, sunlight and fresh air is really bad for it. Yeah, my worry is that I won't no longer will have a unique look. Everyone's going to just look like me after this lockdown, unfortunately. So, yeah. <laughs> and also joining us on today's podcast, we have Marley Anderson, who, like me, has no real problem about being mistaken for Jesus. Hello. Uh, to be fair, we are, well, speaking of me personally, I have absolutely no chance of growing a beard because I haven't shaved in a month and you still can't see anything on my face. So I don't know what Ant and... Uh, <laughs> Aunt and Adam are on about because I I literally haven't shaved in about twenty six days right now and all I have if anyone's ever seen the Adams family you know the baby that has a mustache that's me right now. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what I was thinking I was thinking Adam you've got long hair anyway and I quite like to grow my hair and you've got no hair but Marley you quite like a trim don't you you'd quite like a visit to the barbers I know sometimes oh, at mate, work you, you pop off mad. during your lunch my break to go and get your hair done how's it looking my hair it's like a I've got really thick hair, so it's like a mushroom. It just grows up rather than like long. I can't slick it back or anything like you do. It's just so my head's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> then I've got this tiny little weird mustache going on. And honestly, I can't wait to get to the barbers. They need to be key workers immediately because I am struggling. I'll tell you what, Niall, anyone listening to this podcast for the first time must be thinking, who are these four people who are doing this podcast today? <laughs> Horrendous descriptions of all of well, us. Well, maybe what it is is seen as we're doing like the four worst Premier League players ever, they've decided to get the four worst pundits in as well exactly we're not the four people that matter on today's podcast we've been running the premier league world crap and we've whittled 16 players down into just four there are four finalists
lists and just one of those will be crowned the worst player of the Premier League era according to us here at the Sports Social and why not reveal those four Massimo Taibi was the winner of Group 1 the former Manchester United goalkeeper then it's Southampton flop and enigma Ali Dia Jotzi Altidore won Group 3 the former Sunderland and Hull striker and then it's another Manchester United flop who came out on top of Group 4 Bebe. So those are our four finalists, Massimo Taibi, Ali Dia, Josie Altidore and Bebe. And before we discuss who truly is the worst out of those four players, and they are four terrible players, why not take a look at the groups? Starting with Massimo Taibi's group, of course, the goalkeeper won, but who was in his group? Taibi was along with Marco Bugas, Bernardo Carradi and William Prunier. So I'll start with you, Adam. To be fair, Taibi, I think, you know, I was always going to pick Taibi because the other three are a little bit before my time. But obviously you uh, watched a little bit more 90s football than perhaps I did. So what can you remember of those other three, Bougas, Karate and Prunier? And how close are they to taking Taibi's crown? Yeah, um, I think the, it was a, the correct winner in that group. Um, as a Man City fan, Karate was awful. Really, really bad. I mean, he'd, he'd come in with a, an half-decent reputation. Uh, I remember he was at Lazio couple of seasons before we got him at City and he'd done alright and he came in with a bit of expectation, this is before we had a lot of money as well so anytime we got a new player it was quite exciting, uh, he came in very quickly became quite apparent that he wasn't perhaps the player we thought we'd got, uh, but I wouldn't put him in that, that top tier of complete floppers, you know, like like Taibi um, who else did we say, Niall? Uh, Boogers, um, he was one of those, I mean West Ham have had a lot of baddens, I mean, it's a pity Jim, Jim <laughs> Salvinson is on the podcast today because they had a lot of, in that era. Not many of the foreign players that they brought in kind of worked out for him, um, and he was one that was particularly bad. And then the final one was the um, uh, William Prunier. Oh, Prunier, yeah. Well, that was there was all kinds of rumours about Prunier, weren't there? About was he meant to be? You know, he was kind of signed on Cantona's recommendation, um, and he was kind of only brought in as a trialist, but they had a really bad injury crisis. He was poor. He he was slow. Uh, I remember they did. I think they lost the game that he played. Might have been four one, something like that. Um, yeah, and he was pretty much shipped out straight away. But for me, Taibi. I mean, you look at Taibi in the rest of his career. Taibi, he played for some half decent teams over in Italy. So to say he was a bad keeper probably isn't justified. But to say he was poor in the Premier League, yeah. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the fact that it was against Southampton, who at the time were one of the poor teams of the Premier League, anyway. Um, yeah, for me, Taibi and Prunier was. One of, he's, he's weirdly going to go down in United folklore though Prunier isn't he? <laughs> everyone knows him <laughs> everyone knows of him like, he's, he's, you look at, he's he had such a strange career as well because after he was at United back to France he ended up going to Hearts but didn't play a game oh, gee, if you're not getting a game at Hearts then you must be bad so, but then he goes back to Toulouse and plays 142 games after that so yeah I mean four very very poor players but for me uh, a justified winner in Taibi Ant, you watched a fair bit of City in the 90s as well. You're a City fan too. Bernardo Karadi, what's your memories of him? Uh, the scarf he wore around his neck when he was playing football. That's basically <laughs> the, that, what sticks with me. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he basically, it was like not a snooze. You know the thing, he, uh, it's quite popular now with coronavirus, but it's like a, like motorbike bikes wear them, people on motorbikes wear them, and you just pull it up and you've got like a little coverage. And he basically wore that rather than a proper scarf. Uh, when he was playing and I think for a while I, I didn't have one myself but I'm pretty sure there was like a fan version of it going around I don't know if the the shop capitalized on it and started doing that but um, I, he scored I only really remember him, remember him scoring twice and if I, if I remember rightly this was just after Ericsson had come in and then we had the time when he arrived and so there's there's there a, a, a bit of bit of bit of cash went around and we brought in players like Alano and Karadi and I think Bojinov as well who was great but, but got injured very quickly and um it it was Italian it was exotic I think that was the thing for us we were all convinced at first when he came in because he was Italian and and it had been a while since we'd had like a, a decent uh, foreign import come in uh but yeah I apart from those two goals I don't really remember him scoring and just just feeling really let down by it. Do you know what he was most famous for? A goal celebration that he got involved in, where he knighted Joey Barton with a corner flag. <laughs> <clears throat> Do you remember that? Do you ever remember it? That was one of the. That's the thing that that's the, he, he went down as one of the top city celebrations of all time. And I'm like, he didn't even score the goal. 
Like he's more known for it. He's more known for assisting a celebration. That was a Te- great celebration. I was going to say that should count as an assist. I would give him that. And I'm surprised. I'm pr- I'm pretty sure I've seen that in Pro Evo or FIFA on one of the celebrations yeah. as well. Well, maybe his legacy lives <laughs> on. Then I'm. <laughs> well, maybe for that contribution alone, he shouldn't be awarded the the prize of the Premier League World Crap just because his celebration was so good. Yeah, that's the, that's literally the only thing. I mean, it was absolutely. Yeah, it was crazy. I think that. I think he might have scored the goal then. I think Joey Barton assisted it, to be fair to him. So I think he knighted Barton. It's one way or the other anyway, but that's pretty much was one of the most... Put it this way, when you think of you know big city celebrations, you've got the Balotelli, Why Always Me, right up there. You know, you've got you know Company Against United. You've got you know some of the top ones like that. Karadi's right up there. <laughs> <laughs> For God's sake. Genuinely, honestly, people, most City fans will remember it. I mean, that is the one thing he's probably best known for. But yeah, other than that, he was a terrible, terrible player. (laughs) Well, alongside (laughs) him in the group uh, was Marco Bugas, who uh, Jim was very fond of in terms of wanting him to win Mali. I think Jim's pick for the whole tournament was Marco Bugas from West Ham to win. And he was even talking about stories about him living in the car park and stuff like that. Well, to be fair, honestly, this this competition, we if we had uh, a bigger sort of fan base in West Ham, we could have had it of just West Ham players because, as, <laughs> as Adam said before, they've had some shockers over the year. I mean, I don't really remember Boogers as much, but I've heard all the, the sort of stories about him. And, I mean, he was, he was completely useless. And it's just it sums up West Ham's bad luck that they thought they'd signed this, this this really good player. Harry Redknapp had uh, admitted that he'd never seen him play, um, but still signed him. And then shock shock horror, he dis- he turned out to be absolutely rubbish. So that's Marco Bugas in a nutshell for you. I mean, how can how can you, you get what you deserve when you when you haven't seen a player play? Yeah, there seems to be a bit of a, a glut of that in the 90s where I don't know if managers use it as an excuse sometimes if they'd sign someone they were terrible. They'd like, well, I'd never seen him play, so... You know, but you think to yourself, it would never happen nowadays, that. You'd never just... You know, taking a gamble in the transfer market now it seems so alien compared to in the 90s, especially when it's Harry Redknapp. He would you know, he would happily just do that. But one thing I remember about Marco Bugas is that he there was this big conspiracy about him um, at the time about... A game he, he actually played against United. I think it was one of his. He only played a handful of games for West Ham, but he did. He had a really bad tackle went in and Gary Neville. Um, and there's conspiracy at the time from United fans saying that he was hired purely to injure a United player because <laughs> it was that bad. But and then the Boogers got confronted about it, and he said it was because the grass was too wet. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but a million quid they paid for him, by the way. I mean, you talk about players uh, being signed by managers who say they've never seen them. That must have happened to Harry Redknapp on more than one occasion. I reckon there's a... I mean, he's always bleating, isn't he, Harry Redknapp, about the great players that he signed and all... You know, I was the one that discovered Gareth Bale through the middle and all this nonsense when actually, really, his, his ratio of stinkers to successes is probably oh. quite interesting to take a look at. It must at. be like, what for every one good player, he's had three bad ones at least. In terms of watching, watching players uh, on video and signing them based on that, while you're on lockdown, if you've not seen it, I highly recommend you dig out Mike Bassett, England manager. There was a movie, but there was also like a six-episode miniseries, and in one episode, they're desperate for a striker, and this agent comes in with a video of this uh, this player from Norway, and he's, they're sat there watching the video, and they're going, oh, let's have a look, see what it's like. And all these goals are going in. It's brilliant. All these great goals going in. Fantastic, fantastic. They sign him, bring him in, put him on to play, uh, try and send him up up front towards the end. And he, he's really confused, doesn't speak English, and he keeps trying to put goalkeeper gloves on. And then at that point, they realise the video they've been watching was goals being scored <laughs> against him. <laughs> right, Massimo Taibi, the winner of Group 1, seeing off Marco Bugas, former West Ham player, former Manchester City man Bernardo Carradi, and ex-Manchester United player William Prunier. Moving on to Group 2, which I thought would be more of a landslide than it was for eventual winner Ali Dia, former Southampton player and uh, famous for outfoxing then Southampton boss Graham Souness. Alongside him in the group was Titus Bramble, Milan Jovanovic and uh, Joe, the Brazilian striker. Marley, I seem to remember Joe turning up at Man City uh, along with Alano and Stephen Ireland, uh, Richard Dunn, Mika Richards and there was a few decent players there. Um, but a lot of City fans seem to think that Joe was far worse than I remember him to be. Yeah, he's um, he's, he's one of them where when you, when you mention his name... 
um, City fans are like, oh my god, he was awful. Um, so you've kind you've kind of got to trust them because they've seen him more than than the rest of us, obviously. But I mean, they they signed him for nineteen million quid, so he seems he seemed like you know he, he came with good expectations, um, and he got one league goal in four matches, which is ironically against uh, Portsmouth, <laughs> unfortunately oh, for, for you. For God's Niall. sake, was it? In, I think we lost six <laughs> 0 on that day as well. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he then went to Everton and he did quite well. I think he got, I'm looking at his uh, Wikipedia here, he got 5 in 12 in uh, a six-month loan period at Everton. So then they took him on loan for another uh, a full season the next year and he got no goals in 15 games. So that was like, right, okay, that's the, the real Joe we're getting. But it, it was, it's like many players, isn't it? He's, he was prolific in Russia. He did well in in obviously Brazil, and then he went back to Brazil, and he did he did all right again. I mean, seventeen in sixty nine for Atletico Mineiro. I'm looking at, um, and he's currently in Japan where he's got thirty in sixty five. But that just proves where his level was at. And uh, when Man City first got their money, they didn't really look. Well, it struck me as though they didn't really look too deep into the market. They just looked at numbers. And thought, right, he'll he scored goals there. He'll score goals for us. Here's twenty million quid because money's no object for us, and uh, it backfired on them big time because they had some good players in that team. Ilano and Shea Given were one of the first few uh, names through the door, and they they were building a decent team. But when they they signed, I think Joe and and Bodjinov, and none of them really worked out, and they still didn't really have a striker back then. So they ended up with like Bellamy and and Penza and people like that playing up front for them and it just wasn't really didn't really work out for them that's the thing isn't it Ant about Joe is the fact that as Marley said it cost City 19 million pounds to bring him in and you know 20 million quid around that ballpark figure back in 2008 12 years ago it's still quite a lot of money back then wasn't it so to get someone who comes in and scores one goal you are going to be thinking oh well I'm a bit miffed about that I think they, they were possibly guilty of stereotyping slightly in that when you think of Brazilian professional footballers, you think of skill, you think of style, you think of class, passion, great finishing, none of which Joe had. At all. <laughs> and it was just it was just the most frustrating thing. And it honestly looked like Sideshow Bob had somehow blagged his way in to the Brazilian national team and knew about as much uh, about football as Kelsey Grammer, who does the voice of Saito Bob, does. Uh, it, it just seemed really <laughs> out of place. That He had none of the swagger, none of the confidence. I, I, I don't understand. Obviously, when people move countries and they move to different clubs and things, there's a lot going on in their personal life. I don't know if that was an issue that was happening there or maybe there was a language problem, but it just did not gel and it was... In many ways, it was the most old city signing ever. In that same old city, in that sense of like we'd get so close to something and then screw it up, and we we were so close to having this Brazilian wonder kid come and join us. Everyone was talking about great things. In fact, I remember people talking about him almost the way that people talked about Neymar before Neymar made his move over to Paris Saint Germain and Barcelona. I I I don't know who was saying that but we certainly listened to it and lapped it up and it was just the most disappointing frustrating um signing I'd, I'd seen for City for a while and I think the fact that we've had two City strikers in the group around the same time kind of shows you this sort of transfer policy that we had at the time which there basically wasn't one yeah I mean you talk about Brazilian characteristics he did fit one characteristic in that and that was the dodgy Barnet characteristic I was watching some old videos of uh, Ronaldo Phenomeno, uh, you know, the old Brazilian striker, and um, some of his skills are unbelievable. But that 2002 World Cup haircut, I still, I'm never going to get over that for as long as I'm a football fan. That is one thing that I'll never be able to get out of my mind. Um, also, one thing I can't get out of my mind is that Titus Bramble was a bad player, Marley, but you would have seen him firsthand at Newcastle United. And I've actually had a few texts from mates when they've seen this list, and they've said, Tyus Bramble wasn't that bad. Why is he in the list of, of worst Premier League players? I think maybe it's probably because of the end of his career rather than the start of it. Yeah, he was... Um, the thing is, with, with Bramble, when he was good, he was very, very good. Like, he genuinely had... When he was on his game and, and concentrating and focused, he wasn't bad. But that was, like... That was literally once or twice a season. <laughs> and the other... 
the other thirty-five games he played, he was woeful. I mean, he was, he was just, he was always out of position. He was never, he wasn't as strong as he looked. He was a big, big guy. Like he had lots of, he had the physical capability to deal with strikers who, who just bullied him around a bit. Um, his concentration was awful. He would make mistakes. He wouldn't communicate with the goalkeeper. He, um, he was, he was just poor. He was, he was poor with the ball at his feet. Um, and then he went on. He played a lot of games for for Newcastle, and he was brought to the club by Bobby Robson, who who knew him as, as uh, from his time at Ipswich, uh, where he was a very promising young defender. But he just didn't. He did, never really capitalised on it. And to be honest, if a Newcastle fan wasn't putting together the the list of worst players ever, he probably wouldn't have even got a mention. However, when you've seen him every week, you're just like, we've had some bad defenders. We've, we probably have had worse defenders than Bramble. However, he did. He played a lot of games for us, and that kind of stings a bit. Where you think he he was bad, and he played uh, over a hundred games for us, probably. So that's the that's the annoying thing. That's the thing about Bramble. I was a bit surprised he was in there, but you know, I remember him coming through at Ipswich and and thinking, God, this guy is going to be unbelievable because he had, like Marley said, he, he had that physical kind of prowess. He he looked like he had all the attributes to go on to be a top top player, and like you said, he, he did play a lot of games for Newcastle. He had a lot, played a lot of games for Wigan as well when he was there, and obviously later in his career, Sunderland. But I mean, there's a couple of other defenders that spring to mind for Newcastle that I was a bit surprised to see omitted. Marley, what I thought, Boom Song, <laughs> uh, Marcelino, mate. It's I think maybe Bramble's been a bit unfairly. I mean, I'm, if he'd have won the group, I think it'd have been a bit bit of a shocker. It's very similar to to the West Ham thing. Um, of West Ham could have had their own pull of terrible players over the years. So could Newcastle. I mean, you mentioned Boomsong was was awful. He, he cost nine million from Rangers and he was poor. Um, Marcelino was awful. The worst, of, probably even worse than than them two was uh, in sort of two thousand and nine ten. We had a, a Brazilian fella called Claudio Casapa who was about as about it. as much use as a chocolate uh, chocolate fire guard he was <laughs> awful awful player but <laughs> you know Bram- bramble got the nod <laughs> cuz more people know bramble that's the thing like so it was like oh could he have been worse than them I don't, and uh, the longevity of it yeah. maybe he was but i don't know the thing that stands out for me more than anything else with titus bramble because you you look at he he had quite a quite a varied career. He was at Ipswich, Newcastle, Wigan, and then Sunderland. And when he signed for Sunderland, that was for one million pounds. And that happened to be, if I remember rightly, it was in the same transfer window, if not the same week, that Cristiano Ronaldo signed for Real Madrid for eighty million. And so of course the tabloids made the instant comparison: Is Cristiano Ronaldo worth eighty Titus Bramble? <laughs> and I think we probably all agree: Yes, he is. Uh, and do you know that like, you see these you see these games sometimes they, they they're very popular especially in Europe where you'll get like Inter Milan will play five hundred local school kids and uh, all the school kids will be on the pitch against like the first team and it's great fun raising money for charity and the scoring always ends up crazy. I can see in years to come genetic scientists with nothing better to do will clone eighty different Titus Brambles reanimate uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and reactivate that game, see if it would be right. 80 Titus Brambles versus Cristiano <laughs> Ronaldo. There's only one way that game's going. Well, he didn't win the group. The winner eventually was uh, Ali Dia. And we'll talk about Ali Dia a bit later on in the show. But first, we need to talk about who else was in that group, one of which was Milan Jovanovic. In fact, there's three Milan Jovanovic's to have played professional football, but only one of them has played in the Premier League. And he played for Liverpool between 2010 and 2011. And again, 10 appearances, no Premier League goals for a forward who had scored 52 in 116 in the league for Standard Liège in Belgium. So he was coming with a big reputation of being an attacking goal scorer. Didn't really work out for him, did it, Adam, to be fair? No, I mean, this. I think this was the period, the weird Roy Hodgson kind of era, wasn't it, uh, for Liverpool? Uh, I think he came in on a free, if I remember right, and it was just after Benitez had resigned, I think, Um yeah, I don't know if Benitez had already put that in place or whatever, but I think Hodgson normally gets the blame. Like, I mean, let's be honest, Hodgson made some shocking signs around that time, didn't he? This is the Paul Koncheski era at Liverpool. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I remember the, the sort of the, 
Liverpool went through a phase of, you know, people going about them now and how, how great they've been in the transfer market and how good Jurgen Klopp's been. It's about time they got something right in the transfer market because, wow, did they get it wrong in the past, you know, in the past 10 years, 15 years, they've signed some awful, awful players. Um, I, I mean, it's one of the, it's a classic, you know, case of looking at someone coming with, with, an, with an half-decent record and, you know, just not adapting to, to, to the Premier League kind of, culture and, and, and style of play I think really I mean there would be arguments to say that that was a poor Liverpool team that, that I mean he couldn't even break into that team could he but it was a poor Liverpool squad I think and I, I think it was a really like directionless team at the time really I think they were really lacking in what what the plan was it was like the treading water for a couple of seasons so the one thing I would say in his defence is that I don't think as a squad they had that focus <laughs> Try, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to throw him some at him I'm trying to give him a lifeline they even conceded a goal to a beach ball, so I think you might be struggling uh, to find excuses for that side. They all just start to gain show, and that's happening, mate. <laughs> um, <laughs> was it close, Marley? Because obviously you're running our social media on the sports social. You've been keeping a close eye on these polls. I thought Ali Deer would would run away with this entire tournament. Um, but to be honest, was it close in that group? Did Jovanovic get much of a look in? Um, Jovanovic didn't get much of a look in. Um... To be fair, I was expecting Ali Dyer to run away with it more than he did. Um, but he it was sort of like let me just I'm just trying to find the uh find the final stats. I think yeah, I mean I've got him here. So Ali Dyer got forty five percent of the vote, uh Joe got twenty five, Titus Bramble got twenty three, and Jovanovic only got six. Um, so Ooh. I mean, in terms of he probably he probably literally got about five or six votes in the entire thing, um, which is poor. It just it just tells you that he was that bad. People don't really remember him, which is kind of no. I can't really kinda remember. The, I've got to be honest. That's almost like a, another kicking kicking the balls itself, isn't it? Like he was that bad that people forget he was there. Like when you say the name Milan Jovanovic, unless you know football quite well, you, you forget about that. You forget about the names that played for Liverpool in that weird Roy Hodgson era where they signed quite a few shockers. Well, you say nobody remembers him. <clears throat> I don't know if you've got any Australian soap opera fans out there, but in 2011, this is the favourite fact I found out about this, he actually was referred to in Neighbours as one of the greatest <laughs> yes. footballers in the world. <laughs> I have heard that. How, how does that even happen? That tells you two things. Either the people that write that show have no idea about football, his agent was more focused on trying to sort of, you know, make weird things happen for him that he had on his, a bucket list as a kid. Um, or maybe we've all got it wrong and maybe we just missed out. The other thing to point out as well is Liverpool did actually get him on a free transfer. So it wasn't like he was a flop in terms of a transfer market. It was a pre-agreement. So he came in, as far as I'm aware, it didn't cost them any money. Um I don't know what his wages were like, but there's definitely, I think maybe that's why he slips under the radar as well. It's because he wasn't, he didn't come in for like 20, 30 million and not perform. He came in on a free. So there was kind of low expectation in that sense. And then the fact that he didn't perform meant that he could just slip away quietly when he did. I'm not going to lie, just because Ray from Neighbours says that Milan Jovanovic is the best player in the world, it doesn't mean I'm going to believe it. Uh, <laughs> he's definitely one of the worst in the in the Premier League that we've seen over the last few years, for sure. I mean, I've heard of uh, Agent Strato Engineer moves away to other clubs, but I've never heard of him Strato Engineer move to a soap. <laughs> <laughs> Get him on I'm, neighbors. T- I'm telling you, watch this, Paul Pogba's going to be in the Rovers' return by the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he might be already. I think we're all going to be in the Rovers' yeah. return. It's the only pub that's open at the moment. Anyway, Ali Deer won Group 2 of the Premier League World Crap. We'll be talking through Group 3 and Group 4, which saw Jotsi Altidore and Bebe come out on top on the next part of Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Get it delivered to your door via Deliveroo or Uber Eats. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social, your only daily Premier League podcast with plenty of news and opinion on the English top flight. But of course, we're not quite as daily as usual at the moment due to the lack of football. And we'll be talking about that 
in the week as well because we've still got three podcasts a week coming out for you and there'll be plenty of talking points as to when the Premier League will restart again so stay tuned to the show hit subscribe if you haven't already and when we get back to the proper business we'll be t- we'll be chatting all about that I'm sure but at the moment we're trying to decipher who's the worst Premier League player of all time in our tournament called the Premier League World Crap 16 players four group winners and we're going to have to decide between the four players of Massimo Taibi Ali Dia Jotzi Altidore and Bebe who is the worst out of those four but before we do that we need to look at the groups and now we're going to focus on group three in which Jotzi Altidore came out triumphant he bested Alberto Aquilani Savio and Sareko and Winston Bogard and uh, we spoke about this last week didn't we on the podcast when we were talking about these groups when they were set up on our Twitter page at the Sports Social and we had a good old laugh at him about Winston Bogard some of the stories um, that came out from him uh, were unbelievable so you know things like saying oh why should I leave the club uh, he was at Chelsea at the time because I'm being paid 45k a week it was absolutely incredible that he was there for four years and made nine appearances I mean in a weird way I've got to give him a lot of credit for that <laughs> like, do you know what I mean I don't think I could legitimately say he's the worst player because he's a little bit of business acumen there at least isn't there um, I mean, from a perspective of Chelsea fans, it must have been so frustrating. The thing about Winston Bogard is that he, he had a pretty decent career. Like he, he was, you know, he was part of that Netherlands team, sort of mid '90s through to early 2000s, that had an unbelievable, you know, lineup. It was him on um, the the left and Reisinger on the right, and they had the De Boer brothers, and you know, they had some great players. So he was kind of part of that crop that came through in the Ajax team of, you know, the, the Ajax and the PSV teams of the early '90s. He was kind of part of that. So when Chelsea fan when it had got him, he'd come off the back of a spell at Barcelona as well. So I think it might have been Van Gaal who took him there actually. Uh, but you know, he, he kind of come with a decent reputation, but it, for some reason he just he decided. Uh, nah, I'm not. I'm not going to play, and I'm, and I'm not going to go either. So, uh, I mean, this is the time where Chelsea were starting to pay crazy wages around this time, weren't they? As well, it, just before the Abramovich takeover, when they started getting a couple of players in from abroad who maybe weren't they were a bit past the best, weren't they? As well, sometimes they'd get players that were kind of used, had been big names, um, and they'd get on these big contracts. So, you know, it, crazy stories, really. I, I didn't see enough of him to see how well he actually played for Chelsea really in hindsight I don't think Chelsea fans saw enough of him as well as you say nine appearances in four years is not that many by any stretch of the imagination but I mean some of the things he said Marley over the years you just think did a footballer really say that Adam puts it down to business acumen but (laughs) was it surely not just because he was that bad it's to be fair he might have been the worst player but I can't think of any players with a thicker skin than him to just say yep come on then you can give me all the pelters you like but I'm sticking with this and in in theory he he, he kind of had the right he, he, he had a point didn't he like I'm contracted contracted to this uh, wage you've you've then paid me uh, what, what was it 15 million quid over the course of five years or what have you so that money is mine I mean Many, many players, probably 99.9% of players would say, hang on, I don't really deserve this and I want to play while I, while I can in this relatively short career. But maybe you should have gone on like the Dutch uh, apprentice or something with, with that kind of business knowledge because he'd have probably walked away with whoever the, whoever the Dutch Alan Sugar is. He might have got his uh, quarter of a million pound investment. I, I'll tell you what, one of the best quotes from him is that, he, and this is him, this is from the horse's mouth, I may be one of the worst buyers in the history of the Premiership, but I don't care. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> what a quote. He's unbelievable. Oh, he loves it. Absolutely loves it. Um, so another contender, but not the winner. Of course, it was Jotzi Altidore that went through. So Winston Bogard, although he even says himself he might be the worst buyer in the history of the Premier League, he hasn't been voted for it by the Sports Social listeners. Savio Insereco, Marley, though, is another one of those West Ham players that you mentioned. We could have had a whole crop of West Ham players, but he was particularly bad. Yeah, he was, uh, he was awful, wasn't he? I mean... It was funny, but at the time when when uh, West Ham signed him, because it was one of them where um, he signed for about, I think it was about nine million quid or something. So it was a fairly decent sum. And West Ham fans, if you if you ever knew any at the time, you knew that they knew. Sorry, you knew that they didn't have a clue who they'd signed. But the West Ham fans would be like, "Oh yeah, he's great, this guy." And it's like, "Have you seen him play, or have you seen him on YouTube?" Because he doesn't look that good. 
in the flesh. And then he came and actually played a few games and it was like, yeah, okay, this guy's not very good. Um, but the West Ham fans were like, no, 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 he's going to, he'll, he'll come good, he'll come good. And after about 10 games, everyone was finally on the same page of, okay, we've we've wasted our money on this guy because he's, he's absolutely rubbish. Um, and the fact that in so we had we had four groups in this Premier League World Crap and three of them featured West Ham players. <laughs> there was West Ham players <laughs> in three of them. So, I mean, it was it was genuinely a bit of a job to to uh, limit the amount of of West Ham players um, that got into this team, which which really annoyed Jim, but also brought back a few memories um, from from Jim because he he realised how many players that could have been quite easily in this uh in this vote but Savio got the vote in this group and uh fortunately for him he, he didn't go through um but again I mean maybe if he'd stuck around a little bit longer people would have uh, had more of a memory of how bad he was because there was a few things going on in that West Ham season I think it was the season where the the airline went bust um and they ended up with no <laughs> with no shirt sponsor and they ended up with just a square with a number, a, a number stuck in the middle of the thing because I think it was XL Airways or something went bust. So they had a few problems back then, West Ham, but Savio was was certainly one of them. Yeah, he definitely was. And get on this end, look at his statistics. He started his professional career in 2006 at Brescia in Italy. 22 appearances, three goals. He left Brescia in 2009 to join West Ham. Since then, he has scored eight league goals in 11 years he scored eight league goals in 11 years he scored 11 goals in 13 years as a professional striker when you look at his career it's almost like you know it pops up every couple of years there's somebody who's doing they're either walking between all the the football league grounds in the uk or they're taking pictures of them all or they're gonna be at a game and i know i know you're doing something similar aren't you now you're trying to get to every football league ground at the minute how many are you up to uh, I think I'm up to 59 now, yeah, in, now my, in my life. That's just you going to watch a game there. I think what he was trying to do was actually play a game uh, <laughs> for every team. And that as soon as he'd got one game in, he was like, right, I'm done. Next. Don't care. Move <laughs> on. And the, the, one of my favorite stats about him was, he, I mean, he played for some brilliant teams. I think the Kazakhstan, big shout out to the, the Kazakhstan fans out there. Uh, he played for FC Atreyu, scored what was their goal of the season, on his debut in 2014 and it had been six years since his last goal like at, at any club <laughs> so you're saying he only scores once every six years but they're absolute bangers is that what you're saying i mean i mean i mean he's, he's still kind of probably more value for money than winston bogard who was costing about a million pounds a match uh, but it, it's still scraping the barrel a little bit when you get down to that. I mean, it's terrible, but for Jotzi Outerdoor to come out on top of that group, Group 3 just goes to show how poorly rated Outerdoor truly is amongst Premier League fans. That's Group 3, Jotzi Outerdoor, the winner, seeing off uh, Aquilani and Sereka and Bogard. We were going to give a bit of time to Aquilani, but to be perfectly honest, I don't think we need to. He was a poor player, another one of those strange Liverpool signings in the Hodgson era, but Altador was the one that came out on top. So Group 4 then. Bebe was the winner of Group 4, but Roberto, the West Ham United goalkeeper, Igor Stepanovs, Milton Nunez make up the rest of the group. Marley, I'm pretty sure that on the last podcast you said that you've got a little story about Igor Stepanovs. I do, and I'm assuming at least 95% of the people listening to this podcast have came back purely to hear this uh, uh, Igor Stepanov story. <laughs> so, without further ado, the, the, the thing about Igor Stepanov was he wasn't that memorable as a player, but this story is just the perfect thing where you, where you think, how the hell did he ever get signed? And this story just proves how we, how he got signed. So basically, in um, Ray Parler's art, autobiography, uh, he says, basically, in the summer of 2000, somebody turned up on the pre-season tour, this big centre-back. Um, and that was at the time when Martin Keown was was one of Arsenal's centre-backs. And if, if you know Martin Keown's punditry, he's pretty tightly wound. He's pretty easy to, to wind up. And that was the joke amongst the Arsenal squad. So any player that came in that played centre-back, Keown would be kind of hostile towards them and say, well, he's, he's not that good. He'd be quite harsh on them and, and pick them apart for, for tiny little things, basically <laughs> to, to reassert his dominance that he was the number one centre-back at the club. So basically, he's playing in a pre-season uh, trial game 
um, and he's useless, this Stepanovs. But because it's funny, um, all the players on the bench, um, Dennis Bergkamp and all, all the rest of these uh, these lot sat on the bench, Bergkamp, Parler and, and the like, uh, were all, every single thing Stepanovs did, every successful pass, they would stand up and applaud. Every header he won, they were, they were standing up shouting, great header, unbelievable tackle. <laughs> Apparently once he kicked a ball 20 yards away from where it was meant to go, but it still went to an Arsenal player, so everyone stood up, started clapping, and it was really annoying, Martin Keown. So then the game finishes, everyone goes away, his trial ends, um, he goes back to back to Latvia or whatever. Um, basically, they go for dinner, and they're, they're still winding Martin, uh, Martin Keown up. And it's he's getting wound up, and he's like, well, he's not that good. I don't why are you all praising him. He, he wasn't very good. And they were all just carrying on this joke, winding him up, winding him up. The next week, this player sat in the um, the training ground at London Colony where they used to, used to train, and it's Igor Stepanovs. And Parler says to him, "What are you doing here?" And he says, "They signed me for your contract." <laughs> so basically, Wenger had got word that all the lads thought he was great um, and then offered him a deal and he signed him for like a million quid um, and he barely played but one of the games he did play was um, there was a big injury crisis so Stepanovs ended up playing away at Old Trafford when obviously Man United were managed by, by Ferguson and they were one of the best teams in the it, this was when Arsenal and Man U were number one and two teams in the country um, and it ended up playing uh, playing at the playing at the back, it was Stepanov's Oleg Luzhny, Gilles Grimondi, and Ashley Cole. And Ashley Cole had to go off at half time. <laughs> so basically, it was one nil. <laughs> it was one nil at half time. Uh, sorry, no, it was one one at half time. And then they got back to the uh, they got back to half time, and then they got back and came out for the second half. Uh, sorry, they got back level, and then by half time they were five one down. So Parler was walking off the pitch with uh, Dwight York, and Dwight York said, "Where the hell did he get that centre half from?" And uh, Parler <laughs> just looked at him and just went, "Look, it's a long story, mate." <laughs> yeah. God, he was a str- he's a strange player, Martin Keown, but certainly not one of the worst, and certainly not as bad as Roberto, who for me, Ant, is probably the worst Premier League player in recent memory for me I mean in terms of goalkeepers it was either going to be him or, or Taibi who took the crown um, in terms of goalkeepers in this tournament Taibi ended up winning it Roberto didn't go through but for me Roberto is one of the worst Premier League players I can remember over recent years I mean for West Ham this season he's been shocking there's a thing called the goalkeepers union where is basically you've, I'm sure you've heard of it if you're a goalkeeper it's your position you always leap to the defense of a goalkeeper that's being picked out for a horrendous mistake and I by trade was always a goalkeeper and uh, I you expect a goalkeeper to make the odd mistake you know once a season you'll give them and you just hope that it's not going to be during a crucial match but it's pretty much granted and there's all the talk about there's much more focus on the goalkeeper because uh, if your midfielder makes a mistake it doesn't always cost a goal uh if your striker makes a mistake you know you look at the 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 shooting rates of things and sometimes they're only scoring uh one in ten shots so there's a tendency for me to come on the side and be defensive of goalkeepers but the thing with Roberto was, well, first of all, I, I think a lot of the players that have come up in this list suffer from the fact that they've come in to replace or fill the void left by great players. Taibi came in after Peter Schmeichel left. Now, those are big gloves to fill. And what you had last season in the Premier League, Fabianski was, uh, anybody that had him in your fantasy league, you had the best shot stopper in the league. He'd face the most shots and save the highest percentage. So you were getting a, a huge amount of points for your fantasy league team. Fabianski's injuries led to Roberto coming in. And it just felt like every night, every weekend or match of the day, the goalkeeping mistake of that weekend was his. And it wasn't just one. It was two or three. And and when you watched the... I, I never saw him live. And to be honest, the way his career has gone recently, I don't think that will ever happen um, because he's just not likely to be playing football. Um, you would watch it and you would be amazed that actually more goals had not gone in. And it just seemed to be 
I mean, I would say it seemed to be it was an outfield player that had gone in and didn't have a clue. But obviously, we've seen this season the likes of Carl Walker showing that he can handle himself in goal when it comes down to it. So it, it, it almost seemed that not an outfield player playing in goal, but somebody that hadn't played football playing in goal. I I just don't understand what was going on there. Like to be a goalkeeper, you have to have certain qualities. You've got to command your box. You've got to be clear and communicate, and you've got to be brave, and you've also got to have basic understanding of positioning and angles. And and I don't think he had any of those, or even has. And I'm not sure that you can teach all those things to someone. I think I've seen better goalkeepers in League One and League Two, and I've watched a lot of League One and League Two. Believe me, as a Portsmouth fan, I can tell you I have seen better goalkeepers, and he would not look out of place down there in the lower leagues. But thankfully for him, he didn't get through. Um, Milton Nunez as well. Jesus, Adam, I mean, if, if we've got through 15 of the 16, then um, you couldn't think they'd get any worse. But then Milton Nunez comes along and you think, oh, God, Is you it, know, not another one. I, I, I don't really know much about him. I genuinely don't. And I've got quite a uh, quite a bespoke knowledge. I've got quite you know, advanced knowledge of, of obscure players. And this is one that stunned me a little bit, Niall. So, uh, I mean, you, you, you look at the guy, he's like a bit of an enigma. Trying to find out... Who he, I mean, he's. Re- <laughs> I'm struggling to find words. He, apparently, he was he was there for two years at Sunderland, but I don't. I'm struggling to place him. <laughs> the thing is, to be fair, the Sunderland fans will, the Sunderland fans will struggle to place him as well because I think he only played 15 minutes in two years, which is which is the kind of statistics that Alexis Sanchez will be looking at and going, hang on. Oh, I could up me a game here a little bit. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> 15 minutes over two seasons. Yeah, and you know what? The thing is, I think the, the what I can remember from it is that he played for a team. Um, I can't remember really what country he was in. He played for a team in South America. And I think uh, Sunderland thought that the team was a, a different team, if that makes sense. You know, I think, you know, you see teams with similar names to each other. I think he thought, I think that Sunderland thought the team that he played for was actually kind of a, a, a top-level club. When actually they had gone in, they've got they had contacted the wrong club. They basically contacted a, a terrible club and signed a player with a similar name. I think it was a case of mistaken identity. Well, the thing is, the mistaken identity. I've I've heard this story and it's ridiculous because Nunes was five foot five, and he was one of the shortest players in the Premier League history, and. Uh, this mistaken identity thing has come up several times. But the fella they were um, mistaken him for was supposedly Adolfo Valencia, whose nickname is The Train. Google him. Google him and look at him and tell me in which universe that is 5'5", because this guy is a beast. He looks like Patrick Vieira on steroids, right? The, The love child of Patrick Vieira and George Weah. That is the guy they thought they were signing, and they ended up with this guy, who was on loan in Greece... There's two rumours about it. One was they were just watching grainy videos. The other was that Peter Reid, who was manager at the time, had had one too many beers on a scouting <laughs> trip and wrote it down wrong. Jesus. That is, that's, that's a good story, that. That's a good story. I still don't think it tops the Ali Deer story, but does that um, rejig any memories for you, Adam? Is it, is it starting to come back to you now? Do, do you know what? I've had another little look into it as well, Niall, and I remember now... Uh, the Sunderland era was the Reg Vardy sponsor. Do you remember that? Do you remember, <laughs> yes. do you remember that one? Yes. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember. I seem to remember the, the 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 kind of the that vague story around him. There was this kind of you know mistaken identity. There's always the def- there's a good default that for a flop, isn't it? It's always a mistaken identity or I didn't see him play beforehand. There's, there's a lot of the managers and the owners have to get the excuses out pretty quick. Um, but yeah, I mean. He's got. He's got to be right up. He's got to be right up there on some on one of the worst signings by far, and that's saying something because Sunderland are pretty bad when it comes to their transfer record. Definitely. Well, Bebe in the end was the man who got through to the final four. So let's recap that final four from Group One: Massimo Taibi, Group Two: Ali Dia, Group Three: Jotsi Altidore, Group Four: Bebe, and we'll reveal the winner towards the end of the podcast. But we haven't really spoken much uh, about Ali Dia. We did touch a little bit on Massimo Taibi, but everyone knows the story about Ali Dia. The thing is, Marley, is people are using that story about the fact that he was basically tricked and, and blagged it and said to Graham Souness that he was George Weah's cousin. 
that is the reason why he shouldn't be considered as the true winner of this because he technically was not a professional footballer. He was a chancer, a fraudster. So there's kind of two schools of thought on this one, mate, isn't there? It's it does he count? Does he not count? But whatever happens, he's in the final four. Yeah, I, 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 I've heard people saying this and I get where they're coming from. However, he signed professional contract. He was paid and signed by a club. So therefore, he was at one point a Premier League footballer. And he only wasn't a Premier League footballer for longer because he was rubbish. So, for example, if he'd have conned people and another club had taken him after Southampton and thought, well, he's not that bad, then he could have carried on this whole thing, but he was that bad that nobody did. So I think he's a fair shout to be in it because at at one point he was a Premier League footballer. So it's not like he didn't play a competitive game. He did. Um, He pulled the wool over Graeme Souness's eyes and whoever many else, whoever, however many other people didn't do the research into him properly. And therefore, he's, in my opinion, he's, he's clearly a fair shout and a strong shout to, to win the whole thing. But the thing with me for with Ali Dyer is, you know, when you're watching Super Sunday and Graham Souness comes out with something that you don't <laughs> that you don't quite agree with. All I can ever think of with Graham Souness is it comes back to the fact that you signed Ali Dyer and you were the one who were duped by a complete con man. So really, when I don't agree with something Graham Souness says, that just triggers in my head that he signed somebody who he'd never <laughs> seen play and was had literally just said, I'm George Weyer's cousin, which doesn't even tell you that he was a good player. Like, my cousin could be Steven <laughs> Gerrard, but I'm, but I'm rubbish. Like, it doesn't have any effect on how good you are as a player. But So when Souness is saying... I don't think Paul Pogba was very good. I'm just thinking, you signed Ali Dyer, mate. So what I love about it as well is that digging around, doing a bit more research. Because I remember when it happened, obviously, it was an amazing <laughs> moment. But the other part about it was that he wasn't like a young player when when he signed for Southampton either. You know, if you think to yourself, it's like, you know, the fake George Weir on the phone says to Souness, listen, you know, my young cousin, you know, my young cousin, he's, he's up and coming, you know, promising. He was 31 <laughs> when, he, when he signed for Southampton. Like, it wasn't... I, it, in hindsight, I mean, it's a hell of a... Again, it's one of those things, it's almost an achievement that he, that, that he did it and you've got to give him a little bit of respect for that, you know, he's achieved what a lot of blokes would love to do and, play, you know, play, on a, play in a premiership game. Um, he, look, he played for Blythe Spartans before that and then he moved on to Gateshead for a season. Well, his record was 2-8 and eight at Gateshead, by the way, so he might have found his level there. <laughs> um, but for me, I, I know what you're saying, Niall, about people saying, oh, he wasn't officially a, a, a footballer and that. I know he played at the lower... The lower levels in um, France and in Germany, I think, uh, before he'd come over. So I still think it should count personally because he, he, I think if he's played in a Premier League game, I do. By default, you you, 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 you know, it should be able to count. I think it should. Uh, I think the thing is as well, like we've got to just put put a bit of consideration into this whole thing. Uh, we've just been talking about Milton Nunes, um, Ali Dia played three times as much football in one game than Milton Nunes did in two seasons. <laughs> Right, and that's amazing. And also, as well, I think just I think the odds are slightly stacked against him, right? Because he came on as a substitute for Matt Letitia, which is which is pretty big boots to fill. And again, I think this 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 colours everything slightly. Um, I think that this I'm surprised that this hasn't become a film yet. This is going to be the subject of a film in the future, undoubtedly. We've seen if you've not seen it already, another great film to watch while you're on lockdown is Kaiser, the greatest footballer to never play football. Uh, I, I think this could become a story in itself, although obviously there's a slightly shorter um, length of career involved in this one where Kaiser's managed to keep it going for a long time. Um, I think the story is marvelous. It's some something that everybody knows a little bit of, but not everybody knows all the details. Like I didn't realize until Adam said then how old he was when he came in and started playing. But again, it shows you like how far we've come on and moved. I don't think that could happen now, or you'd have to work a little bit different because there's so much football out there, so much information, so much stats, and it just came at that right moment, that right time, and it's just a wonderful story and. Fair play to the lad, you know. He and he, he tried to have a career, and I respect him for that. And and a hundred percent, he should be included in this. And and this is what it's about. We're not awarding, you know, 
the greatest player of all time we're awarding the the crappiest player of all time and it's about his ability on the pitch and it became apparent that it wasn't good enough to be of that standard and so yes 100% he gets the vote well said Ant well said what about Josie Altador then who's third in this uh, <laughs> this group of four this final group of four Josie Altador um, saying that players aren't good enough one goal in 70 odd Premier League games Adam I mean that's not a record you were going to be posting up on the uh, on the walls oh, of your no, house is it he, he, he was poor um, and I think as I remember he came he came with an alright reputation uh, having played in the MLS and stuff like that and, and he kind of people expected fairly big things from him, I think and people people had seen him play for the American national team and I think I'd signed him a couple of times on FIFA or Champ Man or something like that and I, and I was like oh this guy's going to be alright and he was just awful but I feel like people were willing him to actually do quite well do you know what I mean because it was one of them things where you've had strikers before in the past in the Premier League where they've played game after game after game and you think right okay this is gonna, I'll get one this week it didn't happen again and it keeps rolling on and on I was kind of rooting for him to kind of break the duck really and, and lift the curse as it were but it just didn't happen did it it really didn't happen for him and eventually I think even you know the most sort of committed of Sunderland fans were like right get rid of him <laughs> and to be fair he went back to the MLS and did well but that's not saying much because Bradley Wright Phillips lit it up didn't he so <laughs> um, <laughs> you know it's not really you know anyone pretty much anyone can go there and, and, and do quite well so yeah is he the worst would he be the worst ever player I mean he got more opportunities than, than the likes of Nunes and, and Ali Dyer didn't he but Again, it's a similar thing to Bramble, although you know, obviously Altidore being a striker, his job was to score goals. I felt like it wasn't for his lack of trying though with Altidore. Sometimes I felt he he just kind of missed a lot of chances, didn't he? And I think it was a big confidence thing for him. Um, I actually want to apologise to Altidore because I think I've done him out of one hundred percent of his goals. I said he scored one goal in seventy odd. It was actually two. I apologise. It was oh, two goals. On, I missed a goal for Hull City that he scored whilst on loan. But his record in the, um, the Netherlands, his record in the Eredivisie for AZ Alkmaar, is insane. But then he comes to Sunderland, so he goes to Hull City on loan, does terribly. One goal in twenty eight in the Premier League. Then has a couple of spells away somewhere else on loan, and then he goes to AZ Alkmaar in twenty eleven. 39 league goals in 67 games incredible record tempts Sunderland back to uh, for a move back to the Premier League 1 in 42 you know what the problem was and I think we're seeing that with a couple of these players the problem with with, with him was not him as a player I think he was a, a, an okay player I think the problem was he had really really good super powerful PR and management and that didn't balance because he was unable to deliver on what they were promising. This is a guy who was on the cover of FIFA 2008 uh, alongside Ronaldinho. That really kind of sets up. Only if you're in North America, though. So in the Europe, we, we wouldn't have got it because nobody knew who he was at the point. <laughs> um, but just to show you, this still continues to this day, this PR offensive that he's got. Go and check out his uh, Wikipedia. This is, what, this is how it describes him in style of play. A quick and physically powerful striker. Altidore is both capable of scoring goals and linking up with his teammates due to his movement, finishing, and work rate. His finishing! Those stats you just called out. What? <laughs> that's just that's just PR overdrive. Okay, moving on to our final uh, contender of the final four. It's Bebe, another Manchester United flop. And to be fair, for a side, Marley, which has dominated football over the last 25 years, roughly... Bebe is another flop for Manchester United during that era in which they were so successful. Yeah, he was another one where I think with with Man United fans when they were, you know, they've had previous Portuguese wingers. I mean, they've been pretty well blessed with with those um, over the years. Obviously, they signed Ronaldo and then they signed Nani and that was great. And then they signed Bebe and they were like, "Wow, this guy's going to be the another one like like Cristiano or Nani because." He was well, but he was like six foot three, really muscular. Had looked the part, but when he got on the pitch, he was just bloody awful, wasn't he? He was a terrible player. Um, <laughs> had a really strange career. Like it's a career not really like many others. He's he's been around. Uh, he's been around the leagues. Um, he's been in Spain and done quite well. Um, he's been, I think, he's been in in Portugal. After he came to Man United, he's he's done pretty well there as well. We went back to Benfica um, from Man United, didn't do too much there. Then found his uh, found an all right move in in Ibar, and he's currently at Vallecano in Spain. But he's he's still only twenty nine, but he's never done 
he's just never done much, has he? I mean, he came to Man United and it was quickly apparent that he didn't have the potential they thought he had. And he was just, he was doomed to fail, really. £7.4 million is the is the quoted transfer for for Bebe. I mean, I think you've got to take these things into consideration, Adam, when we're deciding who truly is the worst out of these four. Transfer fee surely comes into it. Two games in the Premier League, and as Marley says, it's not like he's been a flop at United and great everywhere else. He's just not really been up to much. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it was a bit of a... It was a bit of a head scratcher on it. I think when 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 they brought him in, I think it was Ferguson saw it as a low risk kind of signing, not a massive transfer, um, you know, massive amount of money in terms of transfer for United, but still, just like just like chucking seven million down the grid, really, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? You rather put the seven million towards a player that's actually gonna gonna do something. Um, I I think with with Bebe, it, people took great delight in the fact that Ferguson got it wrong. Uh, and this is a City fan. I think any time Ferguson, you know, a transfer didn't work out for him, I did think it. I often thought it blew up into something bigger than it actually was, because if you look at Harry Redknapp, he got away with murder essentially, didn't he? With, with the amount of players that he got, that, that he had, that, that, that turned out to be flops. But Ferguson had very few really that didn't work out for him. I think um, you know he was quite shrewd really in in terms of the, the the signings that he made a lot of the times so i think people took great delight in going who's this guy oh he's rubbish bebe yeah oh, yeah oh, ferguson's got it wrong and it became a big thing if that had been at any other club pretty much i think it'd have been quite quickly swept under the carpet really i mean i don't i didn't, I didn't see enough of him to to you know, i would say that you know let's not forget people like cleberson you know around that area oh, he yeah. was probably just just as bad really at the time because he was, he was awful. Shocking. So yeah, Bebe, he's become. I think he's become a bit of a scapegoat for, you know. Listen, he was awful, but I think he's become quite an easy target in a lot of ways. I actually feel quite guilty that he's on his list because if you know anything about his personal history, uh, he was actually abandoned by his parents as a child, and that's how his how his life started out. His, his parents abandoned him, but maybe of course they just saw what was coming because it seems like everybody else has done that with him. Um, I, don't, I don't want. I don't want to sound horrible here, but how how does that relate to his skills as a footballer? No, I'm just saying that, 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 that maybe, maybe 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 they just they just went. We've made a mistake here. Get rid a bit like every other club have done with him. And and we talk about actually, I don't think we, there's a lot of focus about Ali Dia here. Got to remember that when he signed for United, he'd already signed for somebody else. He'd already signed for somebody else. He'd not even played for them. And five weeks after he'd signed for them, United came in and bought out his contract. And I think it was, it was Carlos Quiros had said to Ferguson. So Ferguson signed him without even seeing him. Oh, that old chestnut again. And so th- this is... It's like Arsene Wenger whenever there was yeah. a bad refereeing decision. He used to go, I did not see it. So in many ways, it's the equivalent of uh, the, the Ali Dia for Southampton. This is this is Alex Ferguson's Ali Dia. Yeah, I, I tell you what. Um, Bebe is one of those mysterious characters but a lot of these 16 players that we've whittled down to four are mysterious but our final four Massimo Taibi Ali Dia Jotzi Altidore and Bebe now it's time for us to decide between us who we think the winner should be and then Marley will reveal who the winner truly is on our Twitter page um, uh, from the results of the poll that we've put out so Go on then, Ant. We'll start with you. Of the four that we've got, the four finalists, who are you picking as your worst Premier League player of all time? <sighs> I've got to go for. I, I I've got to go for Ali Dia, but at the same time, I have so much respect and admiration for him. So it's very difficult to be uh, clear. I think the whole story is brilliant around it. I I think that the fact of he's got the, just that one appearance, that one game, those 53 minutes. And let's be honest, right, all of us sat here this morning, many of the people listening, what would you give to play 53 minutes of a Premier League game and that be your entire career? I think a lot Not of us... Not for Southampton. <laughs> <laughs> you know, to, to come on as a... This this is the equivalent, basically, just let's put this into, into perspective. This is the equivalent of Kevin De Bruyne getting injured Right, and Pep Guardiola bringing me on. This is this is what the the, the modern day equivalent of this would be. Now it would be. I think you'd be harsh on Ali Dia. It would be. It would. You couldn't score two and eight for. for <laughs> you wouldn't score two and eight for Gateshead. It, honestly, it would be awful for everybody watching. But for me, those fifty-three. Well, let's be honest. Under Pep Guardiola, I'd get fifty-three seconds. Right, that those moments on the pitch would be the greatest moments of my life. 
right? So for that, I've got so much admiration. But yes, he, he had no right to be there. He had no place in that team. He, he demeans the whole league for the very fact that it happened and he got there. But I love the story and I cannot wait for the movie, which surely will come. Adam, what's your pick? Um, uh, very simple for me, Niall. Ali Dia, just because he'd be, if, even from a technical perspective, he'd, he'd be so far off the pace. I've heard interviews of Letizia before saying about how the players knew uh, when he turned up, even in the warm-up, that they knew something wasn't right. So, you know, a lot of the other players, I think sometimes it might be a, a sense of, you know, just not kind of the mind not being right, not getting the chances. It can be a mixture of certain things. You know, sometimes at a club it just doesn't click for you. Um uh, and you sometimes you know get a bit of bad luck or an injury or whatever. So for me, just from a, a technical perspective and, and in terms of quality, it's got to be Ali Dia. Okay, Marley, what are you going for? I know Jotzi Outdoor was um, high on your list of possible winners. Are you gonna are you gonna go with Outdoor or are you gonna change your mind? Uh, as much as I would love it to be Josie Altidor, um, I for me as a pick, I can't look past Ali Dia um, just because of the amount of stuff that went into his signing. I mean it. We said before, he was at Blythe Spartans before Southampton. All it would have took for Southampton is somebody to ring literally anybody <laughs> from Blythe Spartans and say, is this guy any good? And they'd go, nice crap, mate, what you're doing? And then that would have been it. It wouldn't wouldn't have ever happened. They would have ever spent any money on him or give him a contract or a shirt number or brought him on and then took him off in the same game. Um, so for me, all that would would say that it should be Ali Dia who who wins this vote. For me, then, that makes it a clean sweep. Ali Dia is, in our opinion here, our podcast panel of myself, Marley, Anson, Adam, the worst player of the four finalists we've got from Taibi, Altidore and Bebe. It's actually Ali Dia who's come out on top between us. I'm voting for Ali Dia as well. I just can't see how you can't vote for him. I get this argument that people are saying, oh, he's not technically a professional footballer. He's a chancer, didn't play enough time. It took 15 minutes uh, for them to figure it out that he was terrible. And I think that's probably 13 minutes too long. Look what we saw Duncan Ferguson do with Moyes Keane in the Premier League earlier this season. Subbed him on for 10 minutes and subbed him off. Ali Deer got an extra five minutes more (laughs) than that. And he's not even a professional footballer in some people's opinion. So for me, Ali Deer takes the crown, (laughs) takes the biscuit. But Marley, now's the moment of truth. Now you've got to... uh, now you've got to reveal the actual winner of the tournament as uh, as voted for by our followers on Twitter at the Sports Social. Right, so uh, yeah, basically the um, the vote was set live on Friday, so over the bank holiday weekend, and it's uh, ended on Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock. Um, there was very little in it. There was I worked out there was just uh, nine votes would have swung it the other way, um, and it was between... Ali Dia and Bebe as the two uh, the two guys that were running away with the vote, but the winner was Bebe. Bebe actually took it from the hotly tipped Ali Dia, um, and he he uh, yeah he he took it. So he's the worst player, uh, worst Premier League player in history, according to the sports social. Uh, social media audience that's the first time Ali Dia has ever been referred to as the hotly tipped Ali Dia <laughs> <laughs> well no 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 I think he was in that phone call with Graham yeah, yeah by, by himself or whoever it was he pretended to be George Weir <laughs> so then there we go sports social Twitter followers and listeners have decided that Bebe is in fact the winner of the Premier League world crap the worst Premier League player of the Premier League era as decided for by you. So thanks very much for downloading the podcast. Thanks for taking part on our Twitter polls over the last few days and uh, keep yourself following the Twitter page as well and follow our other social medias, Instagram and Facebook also and hit subscribe to the podcast. You won't ever miss another episode again. So Bebe is the champion, not something I ever thought I'd be saying. Uh, Thanks very much to Adam Brown. Thanks, Ant McGinley. Thanks, Marley. Thank you all for your time uh, joining us on the podcast today here on Football Social Daily. We'll have more podcasts for you throughout the rest of the week. So make sure you stay subscribed and you won't miss one. Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Kebabs done right and delivered right to you via Uber Eats and Deliveroo. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.